Tonight, I want to talk about the response to great difficulty. In Acts chapter 4, let's get caught up to where we are in Acts chapter 4. We talked about Peter this morning. We're going to keep talking about him a little bit more this evening and kind of give you part two to what was going on with Peter. After the Bible talks about that he went out and he wept bitterly. He's very disappointed for one reason or another, regardless of, of what you decide he was disappointed about or why he wept bitterly he did things didn't work out the way he thought they were going to work out he quits you know he says he says to his friends and co uh co-disciples uh he said i go a fishing <clears throat> and they went with him man that's a great sermon we could preach right there how that peter went back to what he knew you know, there's a lot of people that give up on church and God and Christianity and you wash out for one reason or another. Uh, you know, and it's amazing how many times people will wash out and it has nothing to do with God. It has to do with some kind of people problem. Somebody in the church has hurt your feelings or made you mad. And maybe it's one of these guys over here because they're human beings. They do those things. That guy right there on the second row, he's going to make you mad at some point because he's a person. He's a human being. He's going to do something that you don't like. And your response to that is very important. You can respond to that by getting mad and storming out. And, and, you know, that happens. And that's pretty much what Peter did here. Things didn't go the way he thought they'd go. So he storms out and he leaves. And you know what's bad about that? He took some people with him. You know, anytime you leave, whenever you quit, whenever you blow out, you always take some people with you. So you might want to consider that and think about the responsibility that you have and the influence you have on other people. You know what's great about this story? He goes back to what he knew, which was fishing. And it wasn't like he said, I'm going to take a day off and I'm going to go fishing and think about my situation. He went back. It was symbolic of him quitting and leaving God and going back to the things that he had once done before he became a disciple and followed the Lord. I'm glad Jesus went after him. There's a great story about how that Jesus meets him there and they come in from fishing and they see somebody's on the shore there with the campfire going and cooking some fish. And uh, I heard a preacher preaching one time in a real revival atmosphere and he's preaching about, you know, being backslidden and leaving the Lord. And he's talking about Peter and he's spitting and foaming at the mouth. And he says, it doesn't matter how far you get away from God, Jesus is on the bank having a fish fry looking for you. And that's true, man. I'm glad of that. I'm glad that Jesus is looking for you to come back. He wants you to come back, and he's having a fish fry for you, and he's ready to take you back. That's exactly what he did with Peter. And so Peter comes back, and uh, he reconciles with the Lord and gets his life straightened out, and everything's going good. They have the great moment uh, at the day of Pentecost where they are filled with the Holy Spirit, and what a great time that was. And then things go a little bit south here in Acts chapter 4. You know, if we related that to us here, we'll read the text here in just a second, but if we relate that to the people that are sitting here this evening at Fellowship Baptist Church, you're doing pretty good in your life. You're faithful to church. You're working in the ministry. God's blessing your life, and things are going well. And you know what? There's somebody in here this evening that before 2016 is over with, you're going to go to the doctor and you're going to get some really tragic news. I'm not a prophet. I'm, not say, I'm saying the odds are. There's a good chance that in a crowd this big, you're going to think that everything is going great with your marriage 
and y'all are happy and you're going to come home one day from work or, or from, from the grocery store or whatever and your spouse is going to be waiting on you to tell you that they've fallen out of love with you or whatever choice of words they want to use. Basically, they're quitting on you and you've got to try to figure it out. You've got to put these pieces back together somehow. You have some problems with a teenage child. You're going to face some dif- difficulty with a, with a parent that you're having to make some major decisions about what's going to happen with the rest of their uh, senior years. And, and, and it's just difficult. How do you respond to this kind of life-crippling difficulty? I'm not, I, I'm not talking about, you know, the transmission went out on my car. I mean, we all know what to do with that. You either buy it out of the car or you take it to the shop. It doesn't take a rocket scientist to figure that out. I mean, they may put you in a financial bond, but, you know, get a job delivering some pizzas or something you can pay for that car. That stuff's fixable. What do you do when your difficulties in your life are so great that Bill Gates can't fix them? That's what I'm talking about. Similar to that prayer thing we were talking about this morning. Most people's problems, if you wave enough money at it, you can make them go away. But those are not the problems I'm talking about. Those are not the difficulties I'm talking about. Acts chapter 4 verse 1 says, And they spake unto the people, the priests, the captain of the temple, and the Sadducees came upon them, <clears throat> being grieved that they taught the people and preached through Jesus the resurrection from the dead. <clears throat> and they laid hands on them and put them in hold until the next day. For it was now eventide, and it came to pass on the morrow... That their rulers and elders and scribes, and Ananias the high priest, and Caiaphas, and John, and, and Alexander, and as many as were of the kindred of the high priest were gathered together in Jerusalem. When they had set them in the midst, they asked them, they asked, by what power, by what name have you done this? And Peter, filled with the Holy Ghost, said unto them, ye rulers of the people and elders of Israel. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you. This evening that we could come together and worship you. And I pray that the words I would say would be encouraging and a help to someone. And Lord, I just ask you that you would be lifted up this evening. And we could praise you and honor you and thank you for the wonderful things that you've done in our life. In Jesus' name, amen. A little backstory about this particular uh, passage right here, what's going on. Peter, as Peter and John are walking into the temple, and that was generally the place where they would go and share the gospel and talk to people about Jesus and tell people about the resurrection. And they go there, and as they're walking in, there's a gentleman laying at the gate or at the door there. And uh, this was the custom in that day. If a person was handicapped or ailed in some way and couldn't work, they didn't have a SSI program, they didn't have a disability program. These people just went on the street and begged. And that's what this guy was doing. He had laid there his entire life at this particular spot. That was his place. And, and he begged. And John and Peter, as they were walking in, said, Hey, man, we don't have any money, but I tell you what, how about if we just heal you in the name of Jesus? And they healed him. Amen. And man, as a result, Jesus preaches, or, uh, Peter preaches a great sermon about the source of this healing. There are 5,000 people that are converted from Judaism to Christianity this day. And Peter and John are taken into custody in chapter 4 because they're preaching about Jesus. They're taken into custody. And what's ironic is that they are standing in front of the very people that Peter was standing out in the courtyard denying Christ 
And Jesus is standing before them. Now Peter has swapped places. And you know what's great about this story? The the great thing about this story, my favorite part about this story, and I preach this in life recovery at, at home a lot, is the redemption in this story. The fact that Peter is right back in the same spot where he denied Jesus several months before. Now he's standing and he gets another shot at this. He's standing in the place that he should have been when Jesus was standing there. Peter should have been with him, but for one, whatever reason, he wasn't. And now he gets another chance. You know, maybe you'll find yourself in that position tonight. Maybe the story that I told this morning, you relate to a lot. Maybe you haven't gone quite as far as I did, but you're, you're certainly in the ballpark. And you know what? The great thing about the Bible is the second chances and the redemption and the, the opportunity that we have to come back. And this is a great story that gives us an example of how a person can be right back in the very spot that God intended for you to be. My whole goal and dream and mission in life when these guys were in my youth group was to be a full-time staff member there at Temple Baptist Church and help build that church. I have an office and a sign on the wall that has my name on it, and I get paid to come there every day and work. I'm right where I wanted to be. And it, trust me, has nothing to do with, with me. It's the grace of God. So here stands Peter and John And that's a great thing to talk about, but that's really not what I want to talk about tonight. What I want to talk about tonight is how they responded to this great difficulty. We go back to the application we tried to make a few minutes ago about how during the course of the rest of this year, there are some people in here that will face some real, realistic tragedies in your life. How are you going to deal with those? What are you going to do? Now, I understand tragedies and difficulties are, those are relative Um, one of the jobs that I got my last couple of years when I was incarcerated was I got to work and and, and hone up my counseling skills. And every time a guy would come in that was struggling, he would... uh, uh, they would bring him in and set him down. What am I missing? Are my pants unzipped or something? You guys are just dying laughing over here. What have I done? Okay, it doesn't have anything to do with me. That's fine. See, that was my insecurities just tearing me up right there. (laughs) So anyway, I'm going to go over here and talk to you guys for a little bit because they're laughing at something over here, and I want to know what it is. They'd bring these guys in. That's just what I needed to calm me down. They'd bring these guys in, and they'd want to talk about, you know, uh, tell me about how terrible their situation is, and it's like they've just come off the bus. And they'd bring them in and set them down, and we'd have this package we'd give them that have toothpaste and and, and, and toothbrush and razors and shower shoes and just like a care package just to get you through the first couple of days so you could get to the commissary and buy your own things. And, and uh, some of the stories I would hear from these guys, my favorite ones were the guys that would come in and sit down. Boy, they'd be squalled and crying and say, man, I, I've got, I got 14 months to do and I don't know how I'm going to do it. I'm thinking, 14 months? I've done that much time in the bathroom. Uh, <laughs> And so I walked down one day, I'm mad, I'm, I'm just frustrated, I'm put out with it. And I walked down to, to this buddy of mine's cell, and I'm talking to him. I said, man, what a bunch of stinking sissies. I get tired of these crybabies coming by wanting to talk to me about how terrible their situation is, and they got nine months to do. He said, yeah, I can't believe that. He said, I, he said how much time did you get? I said, 84 months. He said, yeah, I feel that way about guys with 84 months. And it dawned on me that he's on the back end of like a 24-year sentence. I just kind of eased back down to myself. <laughs> said, sorry I bothered you, sir. And you know what he told me? That was Bob Rivers. Bob told me, he said, listen, man. He said, Every burden, everybody's burden 
is heavy to them. Now, you may come down here and tell me about a difficulty that you're having that to me I'm thinking, are you serious? That's the worst thing you got going on in your life? But you know what? It's difficult to you. It's a burden to you. It's heavy to you. So how do we contend with this? How do we deal with this burden? What did Peter do when he's standing there, cuffed and stuffed, in front of the Sanhedrin, being tried for preaching about Jesus and healing a man, knowing in his mind what they did to Jesus? you got to think he's contemplating his answer here you know he's running this over in his head now how am I going to handle this because the last time when Jesus stood here it didn't go too well for him well let's look at their response the first thing we see in this passage that we just read here is and we want to talk about we want to apply this to ourselves how do we respond to great difficulty the first thing that Peter did here is he responded through Holy Spirit control Through Holy Spirit control. It says there in that verse, Then Peter, filled with the Holy Ghost, said unto them, His response was through the filling of the Holy Ghost. Now, I want to clear something up for you, if you've ever struggled with this. Maybe this is elementary stuff to you. But it's not for us in the Deep South. Because... The charismatic movement, and I don't know if I'm allowed to call names here, but I'm going to, and if I'm not allowed to, just don't have me back. But the charismatic movement is very, very heavy in the South. It's a very, a very emotional thing, and people get involved in it, and they like it because it appeals to their, to their emotions. And, and I get that. I understand that. I'm a sports fan. I'm an emotional guy. I get loud. I cheer. And people like that in church, too. And I, I understand that. Um, if you come to our church, it's pretty rowdy. Uh, I'll just be honest with you, but that's just, it's demographics more than anything. It's just kind of the way it is with, with our people. And so people are drawn to this, this charismatic response to Christianity. But that's, that's not what Peter did here. Peter wasn't caught up in the fog. He wasn't ripping and running and speaking in tongues here. This is not something that, here, here's where I struggle with it. It's differentiating between the indwelling of the Holy Spirit and the filling of the Holy Spirit. The indwelling of the Holy Spirit took place for me on February the 1st, 1981, the day that I got saved. I got every bit of the Holy Spirit that I was ever going to get on that day right there. The Bible talks about in Romans 8 9, but ye are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit, if so be that the Spirit of God dwell in you. Now, if any man have not the Spirit of God, he is none of his. So if you don't have the Spirit, you're not of God. The day that I got saved, the day that I put my trust in Christ, I got all of the Holy Spirit that I'm ever going to get. It doesn't come subsequent or at a different time from my salvation. It all came at salvation. I got all of the Holy Spirit that I'm ever going to get. That's not the question, though. Here the issue is the filling of the Holy Spirit. And that is how much of the Holy Spirit has me. See, I got all of him I'm ever going to get, but I struggle with sometimes of how much of myself I, 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 give to, I yield to him. For years, I struggled with the filling thing. I always wondered, well, how much is that? Is, you know, I hear preachers take a glass of water, seeing this illustration. This glass of water right here is filled 
with water and take a little speck of dirt and drop it in there and go, now it's not filled with water, it's water and dirt. You got to get all that dirt. No, that's not what filling is talking about. Filling is word has to do with control because he gives the very example in, in Ephesians chapter 5, verses 18 and 19. He says, be not drunk with wine where it is excess, but be filled with the Spirit. That word filled is about control. Why, the reason I say that is this. One night I'm at the house and I have just got to sit down. Friday nights, I got a little ritual. Uh, we have our life recovery meeting on Friday nights, and that's my big night. And uh, we usually have, I don't know, 60, 70 people there. And there's always a lot of counseling to do, a lot of people to talk to, a lot of stuff going on. And, and that's like my, my Sunday, you know. And so uh, on Friday evenings when it's over with and I get home, that's kind of when I wind down and I'm off the next day. And Oh, I wasn't supposed to say that, was I? My bad. Uh, <laughs> so... So I, I, I'm going to usually watch some kind of TV program. I usually have something that I've got DVR'd, and I'll have me a snack and a cup of coffee or a big cold Diet Pepsi in a can right out of the refrigerator. You see where I'm at? I'm, I'm, I'm locked in, ready, and my phone rings. And by this time, by the time I get here, it's about 11 o'clock. My phone rings, and I go, man, there's no way. Anybody's calling me at 11 o'clock, and it's good news. And if I just don't look at it, if I just ignore it, Maybe it'll go away. If you know me very well, I can't do that. So I pick up the phone and look at it. Oh. I answer the phone immediately. First word out of the guy's mouth, I know he's drunk. Just drunker than a bicycle. Slurring, slobbering. I just start getting up, putting my stuff down. Yeah, yeah, uh-huh. I'm going into the bedroom, putting my clothes on. You know, putting some jeans on, getting my tennis shoes on. Yep. Okay, don't move. Don't go anywhere. I'm on my way. I'll be there in a minute. <laughs> don't, do not go to Huntsville. That's what he always does when he gets drunk. He goes to Huntsville, and that's when he gets in trouble and goes to jail and it compounds. So I go over to his house, and I'm hung up there till about 3 o'clock in the morning while this guy, you know, blows snot on me and spills beer on me. And I told him, I said, that's the last time I'm doing that. From now on, you call me before you start drinking, and we'll go to Waffle House and drink coffee or something. But don't call me after you're already drunk, all right? What caused him to do that? This fellow James had never called me at 11 o'clock at night, 12 o'clock at night, when he was sober. He called me when he was drunk. So what caused him to do that? The alcohol. I didn't hear what you said, but if it was the alcohol, that's, what, that's the answer. It says, be not filled with wine where is an excess. When you're filled with wine, what controls your actions? The alcohol. What makes a person pick up the phone at midnight and start calling his ex-girlfriends on his cell phone? He's drunk. He's drunk dialing. And people drunk text now. I've gotten some crazy texts through the years, too, that didn't make any sense. I just had to say, man, this guy's got to be drunk. It's all I can figure, okay? Because it did come in at 2 o'clock in the morning. What makes you do that thing? The alcohol, that's what's controlling you to act in the way that you do. Have you ever seen anybody that gets really mad, gets all tore up and starts tearing stuff up and breaking things and kicking stuff? And What's making him do that? What's control- He's filled with anger, so the anger is controlling him. You see, the Holy Spirit's job is to move us along a path to holiness, to make us better Christians, to put us in a position to be more usable for God. And the more we allow the Holy Spirit to control us, the more usable that we come for God. So what does Peter do when he gets in this situation right here? He says, you know what? 
I'm just going to let the Holy Spirit drive here. I'm going to let the Holy Spirit control this situation, and I'm not going to make any rash decisions. I'm not going to do anything crazy. I'm not going to pull my sword out and try to cut somebody's ear off because that's what my flesh wants to do, but I'm going to let the Holy Spirit guide. Before I say anything, I'm going to let the Holy Spirit be in control. You know what happens is you get in a terrible situation. Your life gets in a distressful situation where you think the whole world's coming to an end and you begin to compound those things by the rash decisions that you make rather than acting under the control of the Holy Spirit. Well, that seems ambiguous. That's Christian talk. That's biblical talk to say that I'm filled with the Holy Spirit. But what does that really mean? Well, in that passage there, it says, be not drunk with wine, words in excess, but be ye filled with the Spirit. The results are speaking to yourselves in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making a melody in your heart to the Lord. Colossians 3.16 says, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly in all wisdom. Now, look at what the results are to this. Teaching and admonishing one another in what? Psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs. Singing with grace in your hearts to the Lord. So the result of the words of Christ dwelling in you richly and the filling of the Holy Spirit are the same. Do you see that? Psalms, hymns, spiritual songs. The way that you are filled or controlled with the Holy Spirit is in direct correlation to the amount of this scripture that you have in your heart. Because this is how the Holy Spirit controls you. This is how the Holy Spirit guides you and leads you. It's through your knowledge of the scripture. I'll give you a great example. I am uh, working at a car dealership. I'm a sales manager. And I don't know what the deal is. I've never hired a switchboard operator. It was always the uh, the owner or the general manager, but they never hire an ugly girl to answer the phone. I don't know why that is. And so I'm at the sales tower, and there's this girl that's working the switchboard over there, and I've never talked to her, never really even spoke to her, because I don't have a reason to. Well, this particular time, it was, the showroom was empty, people were all busy doing stuff, and I'm sitting up at the sales desk, and she starts talking to me. So I'm answering her questions, and yeah, yeah, whatever, and I'm trying to think, why is this girl talking to me? I'm busy, i got stuff to do. And she goes, that sure is a nice tie you have on. And for some reason, immediately, God brought to mind the verse in Proverbs that talks about how the Walton woman acts and how she flattereth with her lips. Amen. I said, hmm, I seriously doubt that's what this young lady's up to. But I'm not sticking around here to find out. I said, thank you very much. My wife bought that for me. I said, if anybody calls, I'll be in the back office. I've got to check on something. And boom, I took off with the back office. Now, I don't have any idea that that's what that was all about. But like I say, I wasn't sticking around to find out. Do you know why that I was able to put those things together like that? Because I just read that scripture that told me this story about the woman flat earth with her lips. You know, if you have a problem with your anger and you struggle with reacting bad to situations, if you spend a bunch of time memorizing scripture about anger and he that controls the spirit is better than the mighty, and you, you spend a lot of time studying scripture and memorizing scripture about your anger, when you feel yourself about to get mad, guess what the Holy Spirit will do? He'll bring one of those verses to remembrance in your mind. That's how you remember what it says in Proverbs and that is exactly how the Holy Spirit will use that scripture to guide you and lead you and direct you down a path that is, that is in correlation with what God wants you to do and how God wants you to act. The filling of the Holy Spirit is all about control. Before he reacted to this situation, he allowed the Holy Spirit to control him and what he was going to say and what he was going to do. You know what? 
when you have a very serious situation with your spouse, before you do something crazy, maybe you should wait and let the Holy Spirit control the situation, guide the situation, lead you in the way that you should go. But you see, if you're waiting for some vision to happen, those usually only come to me when I ate too much Mexican food and went to bed you know, early after I ate. That's when I get these visions, and it's usually nothing spiritual. You know, it's a, a, a Spanish dragon wearing a big sombrero or something. The way that God communicates with you and the way that God works with you is through his word, through his scripture. This is the thing that you can depend on. As a matter of fact, Peter says several years later, as he gives a description about his life and all the things that he's been through in 2 Peter chapter 1, he says we have a more, he talks about the transfiguration. What's a more grander experience for a Christian to see the Lord in all of his glory? He talks about that transfiguration. He says, but we have a more sure word of prophecy. You know the one thing that you can depend on? The one thing that you can put your your anchor in is this book right here. And the more you know about this Bible, the more opportunity the Holy Spirit has to take this scripture and guide you and lead you. And when you're faced with great difficulty, when you're faced with a tremendous situation that you don't know what to do, there's really only one answer. Scripture. The Bible. Control of the Holy Spirit. It's exactly what Peter did here. As this story goes on, verses 9 through 12 there in Acts chapter 4 it says, this is his response he said, if we this day be examined of the good deed done to the impotent man by what means he is made whole be it known unto you all and all the people of Israel that by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth to whom ye crucified whom God raised from the dead even by him doth this man stand here before you whole This is the stone which was set at naught of the builders, which has become the head of the corner. Neither is there salvation in any other, for there is none other name under heaven given among men, whereby we must be saved. What's the second thing that you got to do when you're faced with such a a great difficulty? Your response should, should, first of all, be through Holy Spirit control. Second of all, it should be with continued thanksgiving. You see, Peter offers an explanation here, and he gives, you know what Thanksgiving is all about? Thanksgiving is all about you putting the credit where it belongs. You placing the, 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 the gratitude for what's happened in your life exactly where it goes. And it's amazing to me that people who are filled with Thanksgiving, the things that they don't struggle with. Now, I'm a behavioral science major at Athens State University, so I'm not against psychology. I study it. I use it in my counseling on a regular basis. And I believe that there are folks, realistically, that have some, some neurotransmitter issues, some chemical imbalances, and they need medication to help them. And I'm not discounting that in the least. But I'm telling you right now, the most depressed situation that I've ever been in my life without question I woke up one morning and you never put your feet on the floor in prison it's just kind of an understood thing so you go to bed there's a set of slides you call them those those shower shoes those Nike slides Reebok slides they sell those things at the commissary and everybody has a pair of those and you put them right beside your bed and all the time you take your feet out of those it's when you're putting them in your bed and when you get up you put them back in those slides and I'm about two and a half years in at this point. And it's been two years since I've sat on a couch, since I've sat in a recliner, since my feet have felt carpet, 
since I've taken a shower without those shoes on on my feet. And as I sat there on the side of my bed that morning, I just thought to myself, I I can't believe I'm not even halfway done with this yet. I I don't see how I'm going to make it through this. I I can't take any more of this. I began began to feel really depressed and get really down in that situation. And I'm telling you, my heart was heavy. I went and sat down at my desk a couple of days later. I mean, I spent some days in depression there. You know the thing that got me out of that? So I took a piece of paper. I've been reading Psalms. That's the only thing I really knew to do. Is I got in Psalms. I started reading Psalms. I was trying to just, I knew David had struggled with these things. And I read several verses that talked about the greatness of God. And a bunch of verses that talked about the goodness of God, the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. And great is our God and greatly to be praised. And somehow in my mind, I separated greatness and goodness. And greatness in my mind had to do with things that affected mankind. Creation, the Bible, oxygen. Stars, the sun, salvation in general affects mankind. These are great things. And I thought about the good things that God had done for me. A wonderful wife that was faithful to me and had stuck with me through some terrible times. A mom and dad that loved me. Three great kids, a great brother, wonderful family. People that loved me and cared about me, wrote me letters and, and really had a lot to be thankful for. And I began to make a list. And on this big and one of those yellow legal pads. <clears throat> and on this legal pad, I put a line down the middle and I put great on one side and good on the other. And I started filling those things in. And the great things were the things that had to do with mankind. And the good things were the things that had to do with me individually. And over the next course of the next week or so, I just filled up page after page after page of that legal pad. Guess what? My depression went away. Now, that's what a psychologist would call, would call cognitive behavioral therapy. My situation didn't change. I was still in prison. But if they had, no, had known at that point my mental state and how things had changed, they would have given me an escape charge because I was no longer incarcerated in my mind. I was free. Because I took my perspective and I changed it from the things that seemed to be really bad in my life, and they were. They were terrible. The situation was unexplainable how bad it was. But it had shifted from that to all of the things that were very good in my life, the things that were great in my life, the wonderful things that God had done for me, as it talks about in Colossians chapter 1, verse 12, giving thanks unto the Father which hath made us meet to be partakers of the inheritance of the saints in line, who hath delivered us from the power of darkness and hath translated us into the kingdom of his dear Son, And whom we have redemption through his blood, even the forgiveness of sin. And I begin to think about the things that we had to be thankful for. First of all, that passage talks about our position. You know what? I'm not lost and dying and going to hell anymore. I am now, not only do I have a home in heaven, but I'm inherited. I have an inheritance. I am a son of God. The position that I once found myself in and where I am now, man, do I not have something to be thankful for. I thought about that next part of that verse there talks about how who hath delivered us from the power of darkness and hath translated us into the kingdom of his dear son. I thought about the proximity where I used to be and where I am now. David talked about how he had brought me up out of a miry clay and set my feet upon a rock and established my going. I think about where I used to be and where I am now. And man, what great things God has done for me. The position that I have as a son, where I used to be as as a person 
whose life was a wreck and now I have a, a future and a hope in God. And not only that, but the greatest part of that is what all of this represents and what you'll celebrate in the next few weeks is the purchase. Man, do we have something to be thankful for when we think about a God that gave it. Let me tell you something. I have a 22-year-old son. And I, I'm sure you guys are all great folks. And I, 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 I already feel a kindred to you. And I feel a, an appreciation for you. And, but if my son were standing here right now, and I either had to sacrifice him or every one of you guys had to die, I'm going to tell you, you're in trouble. You understand that? Amen. And I don't even really have to think about that. And when I think about how God sacrificed his son for a lot of people that really didn't care anything about him, it's mind-boggling to me. We have so much to be thankful for. And when I find myself in a difficult situation, I want to react with the control of the Holy Spirit. And I want to react with continued thanksgiving because no matter how bad this situation may seem, no matter how bad things get, man, I am grateful because I'm a son of God. I am thankful because I'm not where I used to be. And I'm so thankful for the fact that God gave his only son to pay my sin debt for me. Those are things I can wrap my mind around that will help me through a difficult situation. No matter how bad, yes, you may be losing your spouse in an ugly divorce. You may be going through a terrible custody battle. You may have some, some terrible disease that there's no hope for you to recover from. And I can't, under, I can't relate to those things. Those are terrible things. But I can tell you from a scriptural standpoint how you can have hopes of getting through that. One is with the help of the Holy Spirit. Two is by continually thanking God for how good he has been to you. Because no matter where you're at this evening, he's been awfully good to you. You look at verse 20 in that passage there in Acts. And it says, for we cannot. Now here's what happened. At this point, these guys tell Peter and John, they say, look here. They don't want a repeat of what happened with Jesus. They're trying to squelch this thing. They're trying to keep this thing down. So they say, look here, here's what we're going to do. You guys go on back. Y'all quit doing these miracles and quit preaching about Jesus and his raising from the dead. We don't know how y'all did that. It was some kind of parlor trick. We don't even care. But just, just quit all this, okay? And we'll forget about it and we won't do you like we did Jesus, but you're going to have to shut up about this stuff. That's basically what they said. Here was their response. For we cannot, we cannot but speak. The things which we have seen and heard. You know what you got to do when you're facing a really diff- great difficulty in your life? First thing you got to do is you've got to respond with leading of the Holy Spirit. Second of all, it's got to be with continued thanksgiving. And the third thing is it's got to be while persevering in service. You know what? You just can't quit. I don't know how to flower that up. I don't know how to make that any better. I don't know how to make it any more inspiring than that. Then, but to say, you just got to keep doing it. You just got to keep coming back. The Bible says to keep your heart with all what? Diligence. That's hard work. You know what? Sometimes when you're in a recovery situation, the thing that seems to be the only relief to your, to your turmoil and your battle is, is whatever that addiction is that you struggle with. Well, if I could just do that, I'd feel better. You might for some instant gratification, but you won't in the long run. It's going to be worse in the long run. You might feel better if you could just quit 
serving the Lord and coming to church. And this is just an additional extra pressure on me. I don't want to have to face any of those people. I don't want to have to see them because they all know how bad things have gone in my life. You know what? There's not a single person in here that hasn't had difficulties in their life, hasn't had struggles, hasn't had terrible things happen to them. And this is exactly where you need to be is serving the Lord and working. You know, greatness is not based upon you doing really big things. It's really not. Roger Maris, I remember for years, I, as a kid growing up, I thought the 61 home run record would never be broken. That was before the steroid era or however you want to relate all of that stuff. But I thought Roger Maris's record would stand forever. And if you understand the, the circumstances, uh, the, where he was hitting in the batting order, right behind Mickey Mantle, they had to pitch to him because they had to pitch around Mickey Mantle. And Mickey Mantle hit 60 home runs that year, and Roger Maris hit 61. And, man, what a phenomenal year he had. Did you know he's not in Cooperstown? Roger Maris is not in the Hall of Fame. Roger Maris will never be in the Hall of Fame. Do you know why? He's had one good year, maybe two. You don't get in the Hall of Fame for one good year, even if it's a record-setting year. But on the other hand, Nolan Ryan had one 20-game winning season, which is the benchmark for a, picture, for a pitcher. But if you look at his record, he had like 10 or 12 or 14 uh, 17, 18, 19-game winning seasons. Now, when you contrast these two careers, what you get is a guy that had one really great, spectacular year. Over here, you have a guy that had a whole bunch of really good years. And you know what? Greatness is not measured in one year. Good year. Greatness is measured in just doing good for a long time. And sometimes when you're struggling with some difficulties in your life and you're having a hard time, there's no magic formula for it. There's no woofle dust we can sprinkle over your situation to make it better. People call me and want me to tell them how they can whip their addictions. You know what? I have no idea. Please don't tell anybody at home I said that because I'm supposed to have the answers, but I really don't. I don't have the answer. If I did, I'd be touring the country making, you know, millions of dollars curing everybody of their addictions. I do know this, it's hard work. And your situation is no different. The difficulty that you find yourself in, the only answer to that difficult situation may just be some good old-fashioned perseverance. Rolling up your sleeves and pressing on. Going forward for the Lord. Coming when it's hard to come. Being involved when it's hard to be involved. Not giving up because your situation's bad. And I don't know what else to tell you. But you know what? Maybe i got to find an, a motivation for why you should endure and persevere. You know, I'm thinking of, of, of the children of Israel. Or not the children of Israel. I'm thinking of the three Hebrew children. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. You know, when you hear that story about those guys and how they wouldn't submit to the king and he throws them in the fiery furnace. I don't have time to tell you the whole story, but you know the story. Remember the king stands up and he looks and he says, I see four men, and behold, one is the likeness of the Son of God. You know what's really great about that story? Where did they have to go in order to get close to the Son of God? That's exactly right. They had to go to the fire. They had to be in that fire in order to be close to the Lord. And sometimes the closest place that you'll find to the Lord is in that difficult situation. So why should you persevere? Well, because of the relationship that's developed. Not only because of the relationship that's developed, but because of the result that's desired. A lot of times those difficult situations, 
If you keep struggling and you keep working and you keep persevering, what will come in the end is exactly what you wanted, but you would have never gotten there if you didn't go through those difficult things. You know, everybody wants to quote Romans eight twenty eight to people when they're having a hard time. And, and I call that the punch them in the mouth verse. It's a great verse, but I, I mean, that's not the verse I want to hear. And we know that all things, what's that? What, what's that? And we know that all things, say it together with me, work together. There's a process in this thing. Work together for good to them that love God, to them that, who are called according to what? His purpose, not our purpose, not our plans, not what we have worked out, but his purpose. Look at the next verse. If you can show me that next verse, verse 29, it says, For whom he did foreknow, he did predestinate to be conformed to the image of his son. That's what it's about. That's what God wants for you. He wants you to be like Jesus. And in order for you to be like Jesus, many times it takes some difficulties, some struggles, some hard times. And all of that is about the result that's desired, what you're conformed to be. The last thing is the reward that's destined. In 2 Corinthians, it talks about the victor's crown. Those that endure those, there's three good reasons for you to hang in there. Because of the relationships that are developed. Because of the result that's desired. Because of the reward that's destined. Don't quit. You go through a hard time. There's, three, there's several things you want to do. First of all, you want to respond with control of the Holy Spirit. You want to continue in thanksgiving. You want to keep going and persevering in service for the Lord. And the last thing, and this is the most important, could be the most important one. Verse 23 said, And being let go, they went to their own company and reported all. Did you see where they went? When they were in trouble, when things were bad, when they were facing difficulty in their life, and they were released, where did they go? Their own company. They went back to other Christians, to other believers. There is nothing, listen to me, if you don't hear anything else I say tonight, listen to this right here. There is nothing more important in your walk with the Lord and in your development as a Christian than to be connected at this church right here when it comes to difficult situations. When you go through difficulties and you go through hard times and you go through struggles, you need the help. You need the support. You need the stability of Fellowship Baptist Church to help you to get through that thing. I remember recently we had a couple in our church that, they, that they'd lost several babies. Um, but it's one of those things where they lost them early on in the pregnancy. This last one, she's... I don't know, 40-something weeks in, does that sound right? Over halfway. How many weeks is it? She's like five months, six months in, and she loses this baby. They've already gone past the point to where they, they're, they're starting to feel relief. Whew, we've made it. Oh, and they're getting really excited about this child that's coming, and, and she has some kind of difficulty, and I don't understand all of it, but she lost the baby. Just heartbreaking. The preacher told a story about how they really didn't want a lot of people. They had a little funeral for the baby, and they didn't want a lot of people there. And he was there, and one of their ministry leaders in the church was there. And he said their, each of their moms and dads was there. And he said, I noticed wrapped all around all of those people were the people from their life group. Those people from their life groups who supported them, 
sustained them, held them up during that difficult situation. You need that connection as a Christian with a life group, with a Sunday school class, with people that are your age, that have similar problems, that have children, that that similar struggles, go through the same things that you go through. And the very last thing that you should do when you face difficulties is to leave the very place that you can get help. We face difficulties and it amazes me how the first thing that happens is you shoot through the back door and we don't see you again for three months because things in your life have gone away. That's when you need to come move down here on the front row. That's when you need to get really plugged in. That's when you really need help from the people that are in this church and sitting in these chairs and that come here every week. Because you know what? When you're having a difficult time, this guy over here is not having one. And he can be an encouragement to you. And you know how you pay that back? Three, four, five, six months down the road when he's struggling, you're there for him. That's how this connection thing works. When these guys were released, they went back to their own company. They went back to the people that loved them, the people that cared about them, the people that would care for them. So what are you going to do when you face great difficulty in your life, when you face great struggles and problems and heartaches in your life, the very first thing that you've got to do is respond with control through the Holy Spirit. The next thing you've got to do is respond with continued thanksgiving. The more thankful you are about your situation, the more it will change your your perspective of how things are. The next response should be while persevering in service. Just keep working, keep pitching, keep grinding, keep being faithful and keeping your heart with all diligence. And the last response to difficulty is in fellowship with the believers. You need the people in this church. You need the connections that you have in this church. You need that life group. You need that. You need the things that are going on here. You may not think you need them now, but when you go through that difficulty, that is exactly when you need those things.